You're listening to On the Vine, a podcast about Ivy League basketball, brought to you by IvyHoopsOnline.com. That's right. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of On the Vine, the podcast about Ivy League basketball, and brought to you by IvyHoopsOnline.com. The regular season is over. The postseason is over, for the Ivy League at least, and now it's time for the big dance, March Madness, everyone's favorite thing in the entire universe and i'm not exaggerating even in the slightest and uh, we're excited to talk about it princeton the princeton tigers are the ivy league's representative this year in the big dance uh and they have a very exciting matchup tomorrow at noon eastern against notre dame and we'll break it all down for you and we'll recap what happened to the Pluster last weekend we have a great panel of experts to do that first up ivy hoops online editor-in-chief mike tony mike how's it going Good. I tried to keep the continuity going with the orange shirt, but then, as we're going to find out shortly, I think, George Clark had a uh, technical difficulty, so I don't know what kind of omen that is. We'll we'll see what he thinks of that. That's right. Joining us on the phone, uh, the Toothless Tiger himself, George Clark, who is, I'm sure, uh, deeply thrilled and a little bit terrified about tomorrow. You've got that exactly right, Peter, and I am trying to dig out from over 30 inches of snow here in northeastern Pennsylvania, one of the biggest snowstorms in my lifetime. I had to put a ladder up on my roof in a snowdrift to clean off my satellite dish today to make sure I don't miss a moment of <laughs> March Madness tomorrow. <laughs> Well, as always, it seems like a fitting time. This seems like a fitting time to mention that I wore shorts to school every day this week in California. <laughs> so, uh, you're gonna you're gonna uh, turn me crabby. <laughs> no, you you have a you have a win to be happy about. We're joined by uh, IHO writer Rob Clark. Uh, sorry, Rob Brown, who was at the Palestra last weekend as well. Rob, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks. Glad to be here. And since I blacked out with 45 seconds to go in the Penn-Princeton game, I'm waiting to hear who Penn's playing tomorrow. <laughs> and then we 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 do have uh, we have a very special guest this week. We're delighted to welcome to the show uh, Bobby Norell, who is a writer for SB Nation's One Foot Down blog, which covers. Um, Notre Dame. He wrote a great piece uh, previewing the matchup with Princeton that we hope everyone checks out. And we're excited to get the breakdown of Notre Dame fighting Irish from Bobby. Bobby, welcome to On the Vine. Thank you for guys having me. It's, it's a pleasure. So let's start. I want to I wanna get. I want to get a sense of. Um, uh, am I the only one hearing this? No. 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 <laughs> okay. Brilliant. Please hold. Oh, sometimes it just goes <laughs> away. Uh, all right, so Bobby, let's start. Uh, I want to. I want to hear a little bit about Notre Dame. Um, and I guess sort of the first question is, who who's the who's the big star for the Fighting Irish? Um, I mean, right now, I mean, you got to go with Bonzi Golson. I mean, he's playing probably his best basketball of his career right now, coming off a twenty-nine point performance against Duke in the ACC championship game on Saturday. Um, but, I mean, really, it's a group of four guys. It's not just one guy who's going to carry them through the whole game. I mean, it's a group of Colson, Matt Farrell, point guard, uh, Steve Asturia, two guard, um, and then uh, VJ Beecham, who's a wing slash forward type. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, but out of those guys, I'd probably go with Colson. Um, going into that group, I'd probably Beecham's probably the X factor. Um, if Beecham's not having a good game, it could be a different result tomorrow that I don't hope for. But um, <laughs> yeah, well, I'd have to go with Colson. How's he doing right now? Because I know he. Uh, oh, sorry, Peter. I just wanted to quickly follow no. up on 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 Colson. Uh, he, he, I think he tweaked his right ankle in the ACC championship game Saturday night. Right, uh, I, I'd read. Uh, you know, he seems to be doing better, but you expect him to be pretty much a hundred percent coming into this one. Yeah, I do. Um, I think I just before we got on here, I saw a tweet from uh, Tom Noy, who's the uh, beat writer for South Bend Tribune, and he said that Colson said he feels fine. I mean, but I guess at this point in the season, Colson can't really say anything else. But um, I expect him to be Vontae Colson tomorrow. I mean, I don't expect anything less out of him. Nope. Nope. Makes sense. I apologize, Peter. Go ahead. Yeah, also I wanted to ask Bobby, um, you know, we haven't been following Notre Dame at all. What can you tell us about sort of the arc of the season in terms of, uh, you know, good results, bad results, where the sort of expectations were at different points? Uh, um, how did, How did the season go down? Um, well, going into the season, I mean, obviously they're coming off two elite eight or back-to-back elite eight appearances, and uh, you know, I was expecting a, a vintage Mike Bray team. That I mean, they had some nice veteran players, but they I figured they'd overachieve and probably finish middle of the pack in the ACC, something like that. Um, but um, I definitely think they've probably overperformed on their uh, talent level. But um, you know, they started off high. I think they got up to their best start in school history or something around that, like 13, 14 and 0. Um, then, you know, they lost the uh, first loss was to Vill- number one Villanova and they had, were up 12 points at halftime or in the second half and blew that one. And then the following week, same story against Purdue up 18 against Purdue in the second half or halftime. Couldn't hold on to it. And, um, you know, going to the ACC, I mean, thought, well, they haven't really pulled out a big win yet. Uh, when are they ever going to do it? And then the second game of the ACC uh, schedule, they, you know, they play Louisville at home and they handle them. I mean, it was a seven-point game, but Notre Dame was in control for most of the second half. Um, and then obviously you had that four-game losing streak in the middle of the year with Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Duke, and uh, get to the third team of uh, Virginia. And um, but since then they bounced back in a big way. I think they lost one game to end the season regular season game to end the season. So, I mean, besides that four-game stretch in the middle of the year, they've been pretty good all year long. So, it's been a good year. Do, you, um, uh, do you people in uh, at Notre Dame think that five is a fair seed for, for them, given the season? Um, well, that, that was one thing that, you know, I was and probably most Notre Dame fans were surprised about when the seeding was uh, unveiled on Sunday after their performance, the AC tournament, and then looking at their resume, some people thought five was a two was some people are thinking, I mean, some people are thinking, I mean, some people are thinking, I mean, I think Joe Lenardi had him as a two or a three, but, um, and then you compare that to Florida state who they beat twice and just, they just killed my ACC tournament. Um, and they got a three, and then you look at a team at Minnesota, the Big Ten, who, fin- who finished third or fourth in the Big Ten, lost their first Big Ten tournament game, and they're seated above Notre Dame. 
I mean, they're a fifth seed, but they, in the complete seedings, they were above Notre Dame. So I was a bit surprised about the seeding, but looking at their bracket, I'm not totally upset with their draw. So. Yeah, well, looking, what fascinated me when the brackets came out was the fact that, at least from an Ivy League perspective, uh, it's 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 the second straight year where you've got two teams that uh, kind of mirror each other. Last year it was Yell and Baylor with the with the reliance on bigs and offensive rebounding, uh, and this year it's you know a couple of teams that you know they rely on the three pointer, they avoid turnovers, they they don't get to the line that much, they they like to. Uh, Notre Dame likes to get out in transition, but they still play at a, a very slow pace generally, as does Princeton. How how has Notre Dame done this year against teams that ma- that like to play at a slower pace? I mean, Virginia is the one that's the extreme example that comes to mind, certainly. Yeah. Um, um, but but in general, how have they done against teams that that kind of have a similar style offensively as they do? Um, well, you, you pointed out Virginia. Uh, they went one and one against them in the regular season. They played in South Bend, and Virginia handled them the whole game. Notre Dame didn't shoot the ball well at all, um, and they obviously beat them in the ACC tournament last week. Then teams like Louisville, um, they're not an offensive. I mean, they play at a slower pace, not going to score a ton of points. Um, but they went, they beat them in South Bend. Then in the last game of the season. Um, they played at, in Louisville. Notre Dame was there in the sec, towards the end of the game, but ultimately Louisville made more shots than they did, and they couldn't pull it out. Um, I'd say they've gone pretty. They've split most games against teams like Virgi- or like Virginia, Princeton, teams like that that don't aren't run and shoot teams. Um, Georgia Tech's another team that comes to mind and went one and one against them. But any of those teams, Notre Dame didn't really blow any of them out. They were. In the ge- the other the opposing team was in the game against Notre Dame, which is one of the reasons I think tomorrow will probably be closer than people think. I think tomorrow will be a pretty good game. Right, right. What's been the key? Because I know you know I followed the Big East in the two thousands as a Pitt fan, and yeah. you know Notre this is this has been a better decade, yeah. uh, certainly. Uh, for the Irish, especially since the move to the ACC, it seems, which I don't know if people were expecting. At least I, I, I wasn't. Uh, the, and the program has been such a great program in March the last couple of years with the, as you said, the back-to-back Elite Eight, uh, elite eight appearances and uh, the March to the ACC tourney final uh, this year. What's What's been the key to some of this success? I know we're getting into kind of intangible territory now, yeah. but but I mean, what uh, you know, just what what has clicked, I guess, long term uh, for this program, and and why have they uh, done so well in in tournament type uh, atmospheres here in the last couple of seasons? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's probably the the culture and the mentality that Bray has, Mike Bray has uh, instilled over the past four or five years. Um, you know, back. Back in like the Luke Herringody days in the Big East, Notre Dame and Bray was notorious for losing first game of the tournament. And then uh, he's really kind of changed his coaching style. I mean, they call him the loosest coach in America. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, he's, he gives a lot of freedom to his players on offense. Um, it's not a structured offense. I mean, it's more free-flowing like that. 
And I think just to your question, the reason they have they've had so much success the past couple of years is just that Bray trusts his players a lot and and expects them to make the plays in the tournament. And yeah, I think it it starts at the top with Mike Bray. Yeah, yeah, he, Mike, I think his Mike shirt Bray is the uh, loosest in America. <laughs> 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 yeah, I saw Mike Bray on is Twitter uh, said he was looked like a, a lounge singer or something. I think I don't think they were totally inaccurate with that. Yeah. I don't think I don't think he would mind being called that either. I hope. Not. I mean, I mean, you, you go at, look at Notre Dame's uh, Twitter account; they'll refer to him as the loosest coach in America. So, I mean. yeah, sure. There you go. Absolutely. And, and Mike Bray is still. Uh, Still to this day, I think uh, respected in my, my home state of Delaware. Former uh, was the yeah. University of Delaware's coach before heading to Notre Dame and took that team to the tournament. Not a not a regular occurrence for the for the Fighting Blue Hens. Um, George, as someone who is going to be watching tomorrow's game with great interest, is there anything you want to try to pry out of pry out of Bobby here? Uh, <laughs> I the key for Princeton uh, is to get off to a good start something they've had uh, difficulty doing and it it nearly cost them obviously on Saturday uh, against Penn but if they don't get off to a good start against uh, Notre Dame uh, it might be a, a 6 8 10 point game all the way uh, and uh, they're just I don't think they're going to be able to come back from a, a, a late deficit against a team of the caliber of Notre Dame uh, they won 12 games in the regular season in the ACC, I believe. Uh, if Princeton won three games in the ACC, it would probably be quite an accomplishment. So, And I think everybody, uh, every ACC team in the tournament is seated higher than Princeton is. So we've got to be considered uh, a, a clear underdog. There's that 12-5 seed going in that uh, – has uh, some, sometimes embarrassed the five seed. Bonzi uh, Coles is uh, Colson is uh, he's hurt. Now there's no question about that. I doubt he, that he's going to be at a hundred percent, but he'll probably be close. Uh, that could be a factor. Uh, Mike Bray has to to be game planning Miles Stevens, who has emerged as uh, as the, just a, a tremendous player at both ends of the court. I mean, I think if you do take Stevens out of the game uh, or limit his effectiveness, you're going to create opportunities for uh, the other players. And at this point, they're just going to have to step up and cash them in. Devin Kennedy, Bobby, is one of the most exciting three-point shooters in the country. And if he, he actually gets went hot, to my high school. Oh, really? <laughs> you're from, yeah. what is that? Marion. Walk, walk. Mr. Walker, Marion. Yeah. Well, then you're familiar with him. Yeah, he and was he a has, freshman when I was a senior. And well, he, he has had some some huge nights in both years as a freshman and as a sophomore. And he's capable of, of, of shooting seven, eight, nine, making seven, eight, or nine uh, threes in a game. And if he gets on the roll, he can keep Princeton in it. But, again, they have to play at the very top of their game. Notre Dame probably does not have to do that, but I expect it's going to be a good competitive game. CBS must think so. <laughs> well, the last time I remember Princeton uh, had the first game in the tournament, 
1997 down at uh, Winston-Salem, and I went down to see us play California, who had a pretty good football player named Tony Gonzalez in their lineup. And the tournament was over for Princeton fans at about 1.45 that afternoon. It was it was a shame to go to go that distance for that uh, little bit of play. But uh, I think tomorrow will be a good game. If they can... Are you, uh, are, said, are you going can, to Buffalo for the game tomorrow, George? I am unable to with the weather. It's, it's, uh, I can't get out of my driveway, Peter, mm. at this point. Well, so we'll watch for we'll watch for a quiet gym in Buffalo then, because I know you'd be making the most noise of anyone. Let's uh, <laughs> let's 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 talk predictions for tomorrow. Um, I I realize that I I run everyone through this exercise every week, and uh, then I completely forget what everyone says. But I think it's it's worth doing. So uh, let's start with let's start with Mike Tony, and then I'll, I'll work I'll work around. So Mike, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow, and who do you think is going to win? Yeah, I think I think you're going to see a game that's. Fairly close the whole way, although it would probably be more fitting for the uh, topsy-turvy Ivy League slate we've seen this season for one team to get out way ahead and another team to make a comeback and there to be all this kind of drama at the end, uh, you know, akin to the Princeton-Penn tilt Saturday. But, uh, you know, I think it's going to be close. I think because of the slower pace, it's not going to be too high-scoring uh, might get into the upper 60s, and I I would predict I'll go with uh, just because I think Notre Dame is a stronger five seed than Baylor was last year. Although it doesn't do much good to compare uh, four different teams like that jumbled up, but I think just as a point of reference, uh, it's good to note that. And I'll go with Notre Dame 68, Princeton 64. Five. Sorry, George. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll echo some of that. I think it will be a very good game. I think I wrote today that the point spread was like Notre Dame was favored seven and a half. I think uh, Princeton can cover that. Um, you know, but their two best scorers, I think, are Cook and Kennedy. I think Notre Dame can match up with those two guys with uh, Vesterium and Fluger. I mean, on Saturday night, they, those two matched up with Luke Kennard and Grayson Allen and did a pretty good job. They just didn't have anyone to match up with Jason Tatum. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be a good game. Uh, I think it'll be, I think I wrote today it would be like 70, I think I said Notre Dame 76, Princeton 69. So it's barely covering for Princeton. But I think it'll be close all the way, and then Notre Dame will make just a few more shots in the second half and pull away towards the end. Rob Brown. Yeah, I, uh, uh, I, I'm thinking it's going to be a pretty close game. I think they'll cover. Um, I, in the end, you know, Mike Bray is an excellent coach, and I don't think he ever forgets back in those Delaware days. And he takes, he knows teams like Princeton, and he takes them seriously. And uh, Miles Stevens is an absolute um, on a roll right now, and I know Mike Bray is aware of that, and um, will not let him sneak up on uh, on anyone tomorrow. So um, I think it'll be about a six, seven point game. Um, I think it'll be close for a while. And I think Notre Dame will just pull away late. Uh, I'll let George go last. I'll, I'll make my prediction here that um, I, I actually think that it's, uh, 
uh, Princeton has a really good opportunity here, I think, when you consider that they have not lost a game in, in 2017 yet. Um, they have looked uh, very sharp uh, against good competition when they've been playing Harvard, Yale, and, and uh, they were challenged uh, by Penn in the Ivy League tournament. And they, they found a way to win that game. They've really been able to find ways to win games all year long. I think Notre Dame presents an obvious an obvious challenge for them, but if Penn shooters get hot. If Princeton shooters get hot, they can challenge anyone. And uh, I I picked in my brackets. I've picked Princeton to pull the upset tomorrow. Um, I think it's a it's a great way to start the tournament. You know, you wanna you want the first game to be an upset. Um, and uh, you know, my predictions are more often than not based in uh, in what my heart uh, would like than you know what what evidence would suggest. So yes, George, I'll be rooting for Princeton tomorrow, and I think they're gonna win. Well, George appreciates that, Peter, very much. <laughs> and I, my uh, uh, my prediction is Princeton sixty-eight, Notre Dame sixty-seven. But uh, I am not betting that way. <laughs> and then I look for Princeton and Bucknell to play on Saturday in a rematch <laughs> of the game that started the Princeton winning streak back in December. Ah, that's right. In front of 26 Good. fans in Buffalo, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, B- Buffalo did not have the severe weather that we did here. They, uh, yeah. I'm told they're okay, and Princeton flew up there on Monday night not taking any chances. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it should be it should be one hell of a game tomorrow, and uh, we're all deeply excited for the uh, for March Madness kickoff. So, Bobby, I want to say thank you for coming on the show. Uh, where can people find uh, either on Twitter or on the on the internet? Where can people find your stuff if they want to keep an eye on the Notre Dame side of things? Um, on Twitter, you, you can go follow the One Foot Down uh, account one foot, at One Foot Down. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at r e norell underscore the third, and then I. Uh, you can just go straight to the site at onefootdown.com on SB Nation. After the game tomorrow, I'll we'll have a recap, uh, three things that we learned, stuff like that. So we'll have it covered. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate Thanks you so much, to Bobby. Uh, it, yeah. It was great to have you with us, and uh, we'll be looking for your reporting. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Bobby. Good luck. All right. Thank you. See you guys. See ya. All right. So Bobby has been Bobby has been wiped from the call. We we are very sincerely uh, thankful for his his coming on the show. Uh, and now that we've looked ahead, uh, and it's easier this year. Only one Ivy League team will be doing postseason play, uh, leaving it up to it will be Princeton's task to continue the. Uh, to, to extend the streak of winning postseason championships to two. They just have to get through the field of 64 to do so. Um, I'm joking, of course. Uh, let's look back at, at at the Ivy League tournament, which is something we've been talking about all season. It's sort of been the thing underlying um, underlying uh, every narrative surrounding the season. And, it, you know, uh, what happened at the Palestra, uh, I get the sense from pretty much everyone who was there that it was a massive success. Um, I'm not 100% sure that people who weren't there share that sentiment, but I do want to hear from Rob and George as to how the weekend went. Uh, obviously, the, the most dramatic and probably best attended game, the Princeton-Penn game on Saturday. So uh, wanna, uh, can I get your guys' uh, impressions of, of, of how the weekend went? 
Sure. Um, I, 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 do, I agree. It, it wasn't a success. I think, um, you know, if you start back on Friday, you know, the Ivy League Digital Network did an excellent job covering the entire tournament. I think they had like a nine-hour uh, broadcast. Uh, Bill Spaulding, I think, worked almost the entire nine hours highlighting each of the men's and women's teams that were there. Um, some human interest pieces, a lot of analysis on the different teams and their seasons. I thought that was really, really enjoyable. The games themselves on on Saturday, um, they were they were all I, I, uh, the last game with Princeton women, Harvard women. That was a tough one to sit through. The, the The numbers weren't so hot on that game, but the other three were excellent. I thought the Brown women, Penn women game number one, well attended, a uh, good competitive game. Uh, the second one, Penn men and uh, Princeton men, it was just off the charts. Uh, I'm not going to say it was sold out. It wasn't. The corners were empty, but it was a pretty large crowd. It sounded to me 50-50. I'm sure there were more Penn people, but very enthusiastic. The um, the noise was off the chart late in the game. Just everything you wanted from that kind of game. Real uh, real credit to the to the entire rivalry. Um, and then, you know, a half hour later, Harvard and Yale came out, just a, a, another a really great game, maybe not the most um, highly skilled game necessarily, but there were tremendous things going on and uh, really came down to the wire, both teams really, really fighting hard. Um, so three of the four games were, were, were excellent. Um, a lot of Penn people, obviously, Princeton well-represented. It was hard for the other teams, I, I will say, you know, um, Brown uh, had a small crowd, a decent-sized band. Yale and Harvard had a lot less uh, than than Brown, I thought, and that may be one of the one of the difficulties going forward is is how do you get those teams that are four or five hours away or plus, like when you add in you know Cornell and Dartmouth, how do you how do you get them down there? Um, so that was kind of a noticeable uh, issue. The other thing I think was a big problem, uh, if you will, is that four games back to back to back to back really tiring. Uh, it was tough to cover. Uh, I thought the Ivy League staff kind of tired as uh, you know game three started, and by game four there was a lot of um, uh, not napping, but it wasn't the same kind of energy as early in the day. And uh, you know, talking to security guards and vendors, they all kind of petered out late in the day. So I do think going forward, they should find a way to make it the traditional two-game session and have a break in between. Um, we, again, great fan interest. Uh, the, the league put on a super show. The teams really seem to enjoy it. Um, but there are definitely things to think about going forward. I agree with everything Rob said, uh, and uh, I was, uh, uh, as you guys all realize, I was probably as interested a spectator as you could find. Uh, the crowd, the crowd was somewhat disappointing in the sense that it peaked at uh, uh, Saturday, early Saturday afternoon, and uh, after that, the, the there what there weren't as many fans as you would hope would attend. And part of it was due to the fact that the number one seeds uh, were probably expected uh, to win coming in. Uh, clearly, Princeton was the strongest team on the men's side, and Penn was head and shoulders above the teams on the women's side. So it's kind of hard to make a commitment to come down from New England and 
uh, not expect your team to be in the final. I mean, it's hard. It's an expensive process to to come for the entire weekend. Uh, so I think that tended to depress the crowd. The atmosphere on Saturday was terrific early, and as Rob has noted, uh, people got tired. So I think to tweak the tournament, that's one of the things they're going to have to consider is is even, frankly, making it a little bit longer. Uh, that'll be easier on, on everyone. Uh, the atmosphere... The Ivy League tournament should be at the Palestra. I'm convinced of that after this weekend. Princeton saved the committee a lot of of, uh, uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth by winning the thing. If if Penn had won that tournament, it probably would have impacted the tournament going forward in, in a lot of negative ways. But the fact that the number one seed did emerge and they did so in the Cathedral of College Basketball, is in net effect a, a, a real positive. It's it's a great facility. There's just no question about it. It's hard to be pinned there, as Princeton found out again. Uh, but I can't really imagine another venue within the league that would be nearly as good as this one. Uh, if, if their crowd in, uh, size is any indication, Princeton could certainly accommodate the Ivy League tournament because they probably won't fill any arena they choose. But it should be, I think, uh, I should. it should be in Philadelphia and it should be the Palestra. It was just a, a terrific experience. Let me ask uh, then, turning to Mike, as someone who paid attention to the tournament from a distance, um, and forget for a second that you probably followed the tournament very closely because you're plugged in on Twitter and you're you're following uh, a lot of you know you're very plugged into the Ivy basketball community. Um, what was your experience of of? Do you have the same feelings that Rob and George did? Because I, I I am curious whether this dichotomy that I've sort of uh, suggested exists does actually exist. No, I mean, I, I think it was. I think it played well on TV. I think it played the same way that Rob and George described it. That there was, uh, you know, it, it, the pinnacle of the tournament, excitement-wise, uh, clearly came early on Saturday, and you know, it, frankly, it came with the uh, the men's Princeton Penn matchup. Uh, you know, it was. Uh, it, it seemed electric on on uh, on television, on Twitter. Uh, you know, there was just that was what everything you would want to see. With the bonus that it was also the result that people wanted to see too. Uh, there was definitely a lot of uh, 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 teeth gnashing on Twitter about oh, Penn wins. Oh man. Oh, what an injustice that would I told be. You, oh, that I would told be you horrible. not to talk about Twitter in your answer. I told you not to talk about Twitter in your answer. Come on, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think that's part of it, though. I, that's certainly what the... I mean, the Ivy League, certainly, with the whole hashtag Ivy Madness thing, it's definitely something to be considered. But as far as... Yeah, I mean, I think that... Also, I mean, if you want to know about television, it definitely got deflated. I mean, the Harvard-Yale game, watching that, 
uh, it was another excellent game, but you could just tell that the energy in the arena, even on television, wasn't there. Uh, and the following uh, ESPN2, the following day, uh, the Princeton Yale broadcast, uh, if I were someone who wasn't uh, an Ivy League uh, fan, per se, was just a college basketball fan looking for a game to watch before, you know, before selection uh, Sunday, before the show, uh, and just I said, hell, wait, it's the inaugural Ivy League tournament championship game. Let me see that. If I put it on, I don't think I would have been very impressed because the atmosphere wasn't playing. It was playing very flat. On television, you could you could see that there were a ton of empty seats there, and the second half just wasn't very interesting. Princeton uh, pulled away pretty decisively, and that was that. Uh, not nearly as good as the Penn-Princeton game that was sort of hidden comparatively on ESPNU. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't the optimal result Sunday, absolutely not, or in general. Uh, but overall, it was it was what you would. I think it's what you would want to see. Uh, I was a little disappointed for Princeton fans that there weren't more of them there, even on Sunday, uh, as the favorite, looking to clinch. Um, you know, only an hour away. I would have thought there would be more of them there. I know that uh, uh, Kevin Whitaker who's doing good work, as always, over at NYC Buckets, tweeted at the start of that game that it was about 30% Princeton, 10% Yale, and 60% empty. And that that was a little disappointing to me. I thought there, um, you know, I was a little disappointed for Princeton fans, again, that there weren't more of them there, and I thought there probably should have been more of them there, given the moment. Um you know, uh, there's there's going to be a lot of focus on whether the Palestra is it going forward. I'm expecting there to be some experimentation on that. I'm thinking it's going to go uh, to a neutral site. But I, I would agree with Rob and uh, George that I don't think it's look if you if you're going to if you're going to mix the uh, mix it all up at the end of the year uh, and and explicitly devalue merit and say that we're going to have a conference tournament. It doesn't matter if you go 14-0, you're not clinching. We're doing multiple games after the fact anyway, just as the other 31 conferences are. Then, then, then why, why, why bother paying more for a neutral site when you can just have it at the Palestra? If you're going to have a mindset about it, why, 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 why make that, you know, why tie yourself up in knots conceptually? Just go with the most exciting place to have the game. I but don't think ge geography. Well, I, I was going to say I don't I'm, think geography is, is a huge deterrent. There, there, there are simply more Penn and Princeton fans than there are fans of any other school. And I think as time goes on and the Penn Princeton duopoly fades <laughs> into the past, what you're going to see is you will see eventually more and more and more Harvard Yale fans. And I think that problem will correct itself. You'll see. You know, hopefully Columbia and Cornell can can get on that. Looking very broadly at uh, at, at what the what the top uh, you know what the top teams in the tournament are going to be uh, every year. You know, hopefully it's not the same four or five. It'd be great to see some variety as we look. Uh, better not be. It better not be the same four teams every year. Yeah, since well, absolutely not. I mean, this is since this is, is going to be a long term thing. You know what you want to see is some some parity, 
there for sure. Here's, if you're here's, the, cut here's it off. the question, though. Here's here's the question, though. Um, is you know, I I think we still. What's incredible is that I think we've gotten to the end of the year, and I still don't think we totally are in agreement on why we have the tournament in the first place. Because I think asking the question of why we're having the tournament answers these questions a lot more quickly. Like, I think it's fair to say, you know, you could say we want to put on a great show for our loyal fans in who support the top teams at conference to come out and support their team one last time, and we want to give our players, you know, something to look forward to at the end of the year. That if that's the criteria, then wow, you, like they really pulled it off. Like clearly, everyone who went to the game was happy. Uh, all the players were happy, um, etc. You know, if the goal is to expose, give the league exposure by TV, it's a bit of a mixed bag, right? Uh, I think the a noon game is too early, um, and I don't only say that because I would have had to get up. At, like I woke up on Sunday and the <laughs> tournament was over. I'll be totally honest with you. Um, I assumed Princeton had won, and they did. So the end. Um, I think that I do think that the timing of that game is a little strange. Um, if the question is, you know, how do we get more teams into, uh, you know, if the question is, is is about creating madness, then yeah, hold it at the damn Palestra every year and give Penn like a, you know, give Penn an extra ladder leg every single season to stand on. That makes perfect sense to me. But it's until we agree on what the goal is. You know, we had a very informative. Uh, to me at least, um, the people on the podcast had a, have, we talk after the show is over and we had an off the record conversation, we've had a couple off the record conversations where we've talked about, you know, what is, what is the goal of the Ivy League? What are we trying to do when we say, you know, we want Team X to be better? We say like, we're rooting for, you know, why should someone like me root for Harvard when I hate Harvard, you know? Um, and I think until we have kind of a shared understanding of what we're trying to build here, um, of what the goal is, then uh, I, I I don't think that I think we've kind of reached the limit of what the productive conversation about the tournament is because now we've seen it and this is what it's like. Um, and I think uh, you know I agree with Mike that if you care about merit, it was pretty disheartening to see Penn nearly win this game, the the game on Saturday. Um, and it's pretty disheartening to think that this tournament could go on. Uh, because even though the, I agree completely that the Palestra is the only place to have it, but as a competitor, I do not think it is fair for one of the eight schools to be perpetually advantaged in the tournament. So um, I, I don't even I, I I say all this not because I have the answers, but because sometimes it's more important to agree that we're asking the right questions than to have the answers. Well, what was what was um, Dave Gavitt's theory behind? putting the Big East tournament at the at Madison Square Garden several decades ago, knowing that it was the biggest media spot in the conference, um, also knowing that it was St. John's home court. And I'm sure guys like John Thompson and Jim Beheim were less than thrilled on some levels about that, but Gavitz knew that it was the right thing for the league, right way for it to grow popularity with, with the players, with the, with the fans. Um, it seems like in some ways Robin Harris has made that kind of a decision along with the ADs, at least for the, for the short term, is stick it in the, in, the, in the biggest market in the conference at the most prestigious uh, arena, if you will. And there well, is This an goes advantage. back to my question, Rob, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this no, goes go back to my question about this goes back to my question about goals, because you know if the goal you know, I don't know if our goal is to become the big East. You know, if the goal is 
you know, if the goal is one day an Ivy League team wins March Madness, you know, I would like to know concretely how having this tournament uh, at the Palestra helps um, helps further that goal because I don't think that, you know, uh, I am opposed to the Ivy League growing for the sake of growing, right? Um, which I think is when you talk about the Big East, that's kind of what you're talking about. Well, but not that level. I mean, that seems kind of pie in the sky, obviously, but certainly within the realm of the mid-majors, we, we, we have a product and we have a, a group of, uh, we have a conference that is, compared, especially compared to when I was in school in the 80s, the, 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 the league is, is growing significantly and it, it's moving in an upward trajectory, especially when you look at all the great freshmen we had this year, both on the men and the women's side. So I do think it's important to kind of showcase the league, um, especially to student athletes who are in high school who are who are one is to reward the the present student athletes and the other is to kind of move that that next group along and i think it helps in recruiting if you're james jones tommy emick or steve donahue uh jim angles it's it's you know it, i think it's something to point to uh so i do think there there's merit in that that's absolutely accurate rob uh the goal in the ivy league is not and never will be to win the NCAA tournament. I mean, obviously you're you're playing it to win it, but that's not the goal. March Madness has become such a big a big thing in our culture. Uh, people get involved in March Madness who are at best casual college basketball fans through the year. It's just it's just the thing to do, and I think uh, the Ivy Leagues objective, at least in some sense, is to let uh, the kids in our league participate in that phenomenon, in that idea, in that cultural phenomenon of, of March Madness, have a chance to play a postseason tournament uh, and potentially come from nowhere and get into the big dance. Uh, I attended a lot of the post-game press conferences uh, over the weekend, including losing teams and uniformly each coach and the players who came out and graciously took on questions that were in at times silly from media representatives uniformly extolled the, the idea of being in a postseason tournament. Everybody enjoyed it. Uh, and Henderson won the, the thing, but he said that the experience that, that he personally felt coming back to the palestra in, in this way was uh, incredible. And he said he hoped he would have uh, said the same thing even if his team had lost. So there's something to be said. There's a value in it for the participants who really enjoyed it. Yeah, just the act of having a conference tournament, taking that step is is a step away from the Ivy League that, that we all knew, uh, you know, prior to this, prior to these last few seasons, prior to this era, and it's it's you know dipping the toes in the water, so to speak, uh, testing out, you know, yes, we do want visibility. What is the best way to get it? And and they avoided the embarrassment of a top seed getting upset, which is a win-win thing for Robin Harrison and the committee. Right, right. They had the number one seed uh, get tested in the you know the, the most tantalizing way possible for 
for the Princeton fans there, for the Penn fans there, for for all of the Ivy fans who who have who have skin in the game or maybe don't have skin in the game. So, you know, I, I think it was it was a success in in, in that in that uh, from that standpoint. Now, it's it's definitely going to be tinkered with as most conference tournaments of all of the conferences are, not just the mid-majors, but also the power conferences. And, you know, as far as what are the questions, you know, what are the questions we should be asking? Um, I think just, I think we can all agree that the act of having a conference tournament is an answer. It's an answer. Now, what, you know, if the question is the question, you know, what does the Ivy League want to be going forward? You know, I think the conference tournament tells you that, you know, it wants to be something a little bit different. It wants to be a little more visible. Uh, it wants to be a little more accessible, reaching out to maybe non-Ivy fans, promoting the teams, promoting this uh, growth that Rob mentioned on, on both sides, both genders, which I think is uh, part of the impetus of keeping the genders together, as Robin Harris has wanted to do. So... You know, I think uh, I, I'm not sure what the next step is, but whatever it is, I think it's going to be uh, further, further in 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 the kind of open carnival celebration of of Ivy League basketball direction that uh, that they seem to be going in. Mike, that's okay, a great way me... to put it. The, the carnival, I I like that because uh, I I got caught up in that. It was like a carnival. <laughs> I mean, I was sitting in a uh, among a bunch of Yale undergrads, uh, and we just had a ball. They were big Penn fans on Saturday, uh, <laughs> and we were going back and forth in in, in just a, a delightful uh, interaction. It was a lot of fun. They were great kids, and, and the next day, of course, uh, in the second half, they were shaking my hands and they said, "We're with you guys now." And I <laughs> you know that that was that was. A real uh, a positive uh, uh, reaction because everybody wants every fan of the Ivy League wants the best teams to represent the conference in the in the tournament and with the Penn women and the Princeton men I think we we have that everybody well, but, is on the same team now. Well, you have to open up. You have to you have to enjoy and embrace when the best team doesn't win, though. That's the thing, you know. Yeah, the teeth well, matching. I think you know that will you, happen. I mean, yeah, it's the same concept as March Madness. So, you know, if you're going to root, you know, sometimes you want to root for the underdog, but then the conference tournament, you you know, nobody wants to root for the underdog and for the reasons you just described. But, you know, but if, if you want to embrace, you got to embrace the whole enchilada if you're going to, if you want to eat it. Well, most years you're not going to have a team go unbeaten in, in this conference. You just won't. Uh, you might get a couple teams at, at 11 and 3, maybe a 10 and 4, or 12 and 2. You might get a, a, a much more competitive race, and you might get a lot more interest in a postseason tournament when that happens. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I can't see anybody going unbeaten in this league again soon. I, I look, I'm, I'm not going to keep beating a dead horse because I'm, I'm not clearly on the same page as everyone else, and I think. It, you know, it definitely has something to do with the fact that, um, you know, uh, the team I care about didn't make the tournament, and so I think it's tough to sit here and, and accept, uh, you know, it's tough to sit here and listen to how great it was, you know, um, and but I you have the best be recruit anything. next year coming in. Oh, uh, not if you Columbia listen to Mike James. Good. So, 
Well, listen, Mike, I mean, James, will, I, hey, Mike I, James. Mike James will tell you. Mike James will tell you that from from here to eternity, that Jaron Folds is not the best recruit in the Ivy League, and that's fine. You know, whatever. But uh, uh, if he went to Harvard, he would be the best in the Ivy League. <laughs> yeah. But this is what hey, I, I mean. I, is, is all I'm all, all I'm saying is uh, all I'm saying is we have to seriously grapple with what the implications are going to be of the tournament as it as it uh, becomes more baked into part of the league, and I. I fundamentally think it's it it is unfair to have it at the Palestra every year. I really do. I do not think that I think if we're going to build something that celebrates our shared Ivy legacy, then we need to treat all eight schools as equal partners going forward. Even if the history is not there, I'll freely admit that there are some schools that don't have the same history as other schools, and that's fine. But I think it's a little bit rich to sit here and and listen to Penn fans tell me why the tournament should be held the Plester every year. I just, I don't buy it, and I I refuse to buy it because I, I simply think that if we, if the Ivy League is going to look at this as a partnership of the eight schools, as it always has been, then there needs to be some sense of that partnership in, you know, you can have a carnival anywhere. That's the principle of Barnum and Bailey's, right? You can have a, carna- you can have a carnival anywhere. Um, and I... I I'm not, yeah. No, no, I think, and, and that's fair. You know, watching the, looking at the, the kids who were coming up from New England or the lack of them, you know, it certainly was, it was noticeable and it was understandable. Looking at the different options there, you know, uh, I've been studying it the last couple of days and you really have kind of boiled it down to Bridgeport at the, uh, what is it, the Webster Bank Arena and the Mohegan Sun in Uncasville. Um, probably Mohegan Sun has still some distance for Penn and Ithaca, but it will provide a place with entertainment for all the fans who want to come down for the weekend. And that's an option. I don't know if the individual schools are an option just because it, it, it creates, well, size is a problem, but at least, you know, going to a neutral site, you can find a 10,000 person arena. So that, and that, that's definitely an option. Um, and I and I think I would be open to that. I in my heart I think the Palestra is the right place ultimately, but certainly up for you know experimentation. One of the things I did see in this week um, was the number four seed. I know that was an issue going throughout the year, and I'd have to say with the Penn men and the Brown women, they both came on really strong as the year went on, and I think they both acquitted themselves very well in the in Saturday's action. That I think going forward you do want four teams, and you probably want. Sunday tournament. Um, again, more works in progress, but I think your point is well taken, and it's worth experimenting and seeing what a neutral site is versus um, having it down in the southernmost location. Right. Yeah, and I think they will. I think they will experiment. I mean, look, the whole thing is unfair. The whole the whole thing is unfair. I I, I don't think they should have one. I still don't think they should have a tournament in, in spite of everything we've well, said. Well, look, all, all I'm saying all I'm saying is it's it's two different types of unfairness. I think there's I think there is the unfairness of saying, you know, we might not pick the best team, which at the very least will fluctuate from year to year who that benefits or who that hurts, right? Like last year it would have been Yale uh, and vice versa. But it is, I think it is fundamentally a different issue to give Penn basically four points at the start of every game. I think that's fundamentally a different issue because it's, it speaks to a, um, a baked-in advantage. Um, that's all. Well, what what may happen, and uh, this was not the year to test this theory. Last year was probably a better year to test this theory. But if the tournament 
had been held last year, and if Princeton came in at 12 and two and upset Yale at 13 and one, Yale might very well uh, have deserved and received a second Ivy bid. And that's one of the objectives, I believe, at least on the periphery of this uh, concept that uh, that propels us going forward. Maybe we're not at that fair. What's no, we're not either? there yet, but I think ultimately uh, we're going to get there. Yeah, and I, I think it, I think as far as test runs for the tournament, I do think that the point that we're not going to have a fourteen zero team every year, and you know, next, last year where we had three really really even teams at the top of the, you know, Yale a step ahead, obviously, but three teams that showed that they could compete both within the conference and without the conference. Uh, and then even a fourth place team at Harvard that I think was miles, miles better than the fourth place team this year. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's probably unfair to evaluate after only one year and God knows we'll probably spend less time talking about the damn thing next year. Um, but, um, it's after, you know, we can only answer, uh, we can only, like you said, this, it's, this tournament is the answer. I don't know if this is Jeopardy or what the hell we're doing here, but um, because my metaphor has gotten pretty mixed. But all right, we don't have a lot of time left. Does anyone have any final thoughts before I wrap up? Go Princeton. <laughs> Just That's a, as good a ten women as playing Saturday night against Texas A&M. I believe it's on ESPN two nine o'clock. They have a really good chance. They're a number twelve seed. They have a solid chance of beating. Uh, Texas A&M, and if they do, they would get UCLA at Pauley Pavilion. That's the unfairness of the women's yeah. the women's tournament. They all they play yeah. at home sites. Yeah, and um, I believe unfair. other three women's teams at the Ivy tournament all got postseason bids. Uh, Princeton women got an automatic bid to the women's NIT. Harvard got an at-large bid to that, and Brown got one to the Women's Invitational Tournament or Women's Basketball Invitational. So um, a little bit more uh, appreciation. Of course, they also are like the eighth, number eight conference in the country. So, uh, so there are the rewards with that. Yeah. Rob, you really have done a great job covering the women's uh, uh, side of our league in the last month or so. We probably should... Uh, emphasize the women a little bit more on on site next year. That'll obviously is Michael's call, but I, I found it interesting and uh, very informative. Oh, your thanks. coverage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank I for you. one, yeah. I would I would love to know why Columbia is great every year in non conference with the women's team and then completely falls apart once they have to play conference opponents. But yeah. that's a question for another time. Well, Harvard did that this year. Yeah. Let's let's wrap up the show. Uh, this is the second to last on the vine of the year. Last one will be next week, and then we'll take a long deserved uh, power nap until November. Um, basketballs this weekend. March Madness kicks off with yes, number five Notre Dame versus number twelve Princeton. Um, whether you can muster the energy to root for Princeton, I 100% don't blame you if you if you root for Notre Dame tomorrow, <laughs> because uh, I've been a vocal. As I've said before, I've been a vocal advocate for, you know, you root for whoever you want and you do not have to follow your league loyalties. I personally will be rooting for Princeton tomorrow, so um, if I can suck it up and do it, then I think everyone else can. Um, but uh, certainly to, to George and to all the Princeton fans out there, um, congratulations on 
what a terrific team uh, the Tigers have been this year, really pulling off something incredible uh, by going undefeated in conference and in the tournament. And um, we are very hopeful that you will represent the Ivy League uh, in a way that shocks the world tomorrow. So, George, thanks for coming on the show, and good luck to your boys. Well, thank you, Peter. I really appreciate the support as uh, as unlikely as it is. I'm certainly thrilled to have uh, have you on the Princeton train. I put a piece up, or Michael put a piece up today that I wrote, uh, which bespeaks to the strength of our team. Clearly the best player we've had over the Ivy season has been Miles Stevens and Devin or uh, Spencer Weiss and, and Stephen Cook were unanimous all Ivy first teamers. Uh, this is a deep, talented team, and I don't, I don't like to think we have a real good chance tomorrow. But I suspect it's going to be a great game. Well, we also we all certainly hope so. Uh, I'd also like to thank Rob Brown for coming on the show as always, sharing his perspective. Thank you, Rob. You're welcome. Thank you and the editor-in-chief of Ivy Hoops Online, Mike Tony himself, with his never-ending array of colorful shirts and sweaters. Uh, thank you for coming on the program and, uh, and, and informing us of what clothes you're wearing. Yes, they all, and they always seem to be orange, don't they? It always works, it always works out that way. Funny how that works out. But yeah, it, 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 it's, uh, it's wonderful to, to see, I mean, to have these discussions about the strength of the league of both genders. Uh, thanks, I want to echo thanks to Rob for his... Uh, great coverage of the, of the women and the men uh, all season long. Certainly George as well. Um, yeah, hashtag one Ivy, and uh, you know, let's let's see how it goes. And we should we should mention that uh, if Princeton does uh, go to the Final Four, obviously we'll we'll keep the on the vines coming <laughs> in that in that in that instance. We better. <laughs> Thanks uh, to all my of support you. for Good Princeton. Only go so far. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, everyone. We really appreciate uh, listening to On the Vine this week, and we will uh, uh, we'll catch you next week. Have a good one. 